What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. I want to tell you about a new sponsor to the Five Reasons Podcast family, and that is Soccer Zone Indoor. It is a collection of pitches in the Miramar area. They are on the intersection of Miramar and Flamingo. They have pickup games. They've got training and classes to learn how to play soccer and party areas as well. Tons of great amenities there at Soccer Zone Indoor. Wall-to-wall air conditioning, so you're not going to get sweaty. It's not going to be way too hot there. Three separate pitches to go and play with the highest quality turf. A conference room, a teaching room, three different party areas. Flat screen TVs with soccer on it all day. They're going to be a great spot to check out for the World Cup. A great spot to check out if you want to play some pickup soccer. They've got some local clubs going through as well. I know Ethan has got his daughter in classes there as well. So it's a great place to practice soccer. It is centrally located, again, on the corner of Miramar and Flamingo. You can get there from just about anywhere in South Florida. It's a really cool area. If you want to check out Soccer Zone Indoor, they're also online at SoccerZoneIndoor.com and at Soccer Zone Indoor on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter as well. Plenty of social there. Soccer Zone Indoor, the place to go and play pickup soccer and enjoy the game of soccer in a variety of fashions, including having kids' parties as well. So check it out, SoccerZoneIndoor.com. Welcome into the latest episode of the Five Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick here, as always, with Chris Winningham. Now that you've downloaded the podcast, we want to suggest that you subscribe. You'll get access to all the previous episodes. You'll get every new episode as soon as it posts, and your subscriptions help us grow. Also, if you found our podcast, be sure to find in all of the same places the other podcasts in our network. That's Three Yards Per Carry on the Miami Dolphins, Miami Heat Beat, Pitch Invasion, which my co-host here, Chris Whittingham, runs. Obviously, they'll be going heavily throughout the World Cup. And then Balls Cast, sort of like the crazy cousin in our network, which just got named one of the 10 best podcasts in Miami by Miami New Times. So check those out. We will have announcements on new podcasts that are joining the network in July and beyond. All right, this is what I call LeBron Week. and I dealt with this twice, Joe Varden. Once was 2010 when you were still covering politics, correct? You were not covering sports at that time, right? I had just really gotten into politics. Uh, that was during the um, Ohio governor's race that year. Right. So you were not you were not a sports guy in 2010. I When I go back to it, what I always think of is that day of LeBron's decision and just waiting for it to happen and getting all these crazy reports. I was actually working for the Sun Sentinel at the time, and we had gotten this scoop that the Heat had taken out an ad in the Sun Sentinel with all three guys, with LeBron, Bosch, and Wade together. This was on the day of the decision. So we thought this was some great giveaway, that LeBron was definitely coming to the Heat, and they pulled the ad at the last second, so we didn't know what to think. He ends up coming to Miami. Just before we move on to 2014 and what's going to happen here in 2018, you were, I'm assuming, I mean, you, you grew up in Ohio, right, Joe? Yeah. How did you experience 2010 as someone who was not covering 
the Cavaliers at that time, but someone who was just observing and, and obviously, you know, had followed the Cavaliers for all those years. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just I'll never forget laying on my couch in Toledo, Ohio with my son who was a month old and he was kind of laying on my chest and we were watching it and just somehow as soon as LeBron said he was he was taking his talents to South Beach, you know, this baby boy, he threw up his hands as though he was in disbelief. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was pretty cool uh, that way. But, you know, I mean, I had the same probably run of emotions as, as most of the people here. I didn't burn anything. Brian Windhorst, who's, you know, is a friend of yours, is a, is a close friend of mine. So I was kind of living it through him. He was covering, the, covering it for the Cleveland Plain Dealer, actually in the job that I have now. So I lived it that way too. And it, it probably took me, it you know, it, it probably took me a couple of years to really kind of get past it, get past just the, the same takes about, well, he has the right to do what he wants, but the way he did it, that kind of thing. And, you know, I mean, now having spent all this time with him and really kind of seeing it from a different perspective, you, I view it totally differently. I, I feel like he can do absolutely whatever he wants and is beholden to no one but I also understand that like a from a fan's perspective how it, it might take a while to get there so your son your son did not burn his onesie at no. that <laughs> <laughs> no 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 but my wife told him um the other day mentioned to him that there's a chance he may leave and uh you know he kind of got a really big look on his face like no way you know what's actually interesting is that we were talking about this uh, a lot of the hosts in our network over the weekend and we were basically kind of saying how everyone criticized lebron james and it became this kind of scarlet letter that he did this tv show announcing where he was going to go and then i remember obviously it drew big ratings at the time but I didn't realize how big they were. The portion in which he actually announced that he was going to Miami on the television broadcast on ESPN was seen by 13.1 million people. And in terms of in Cleveland, of the people that were watching television at the time, 39% were watching the decision. So it was a show-stopping yeah. you know, event that everyone wanted to see and gather around their televisions to watch because they all wanted to know where LeBron was going. And so it's kind of incredible to me that it's kind of been looked at this way when that TV special was like outrated conference finals games. Like everyone wants to know where he's going to go. And I imagine you, Joe, kind of covering all this stuff are kind of bombarded by interest and questions where is he going to go? Where is he going to go? And he can kind of provide the answer in whatever means he desires, like you said. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, you know, the three of us have all kind of come up in, in the same or, or similar uh, paths in, in this job. And so, you know, you're either on deadline or you're covering something and you've got people texting you that are just your friends. Like they're not in this business at all. Uh, just at the worst times, like, hey, uh, where's LeBron going? And it's like, uh, you know, give me a break. <laughs> Joe, Joe, I can't tell you how many texts I got when Ray Allen hit the shot as I was furiously. We'd already blown deadline and I was already writing a column about how this thing had fallen apart again and the heat had blown it. I mean, the column was done. I'm furiously trying to rewrite. I'm waiting for a, a text from my boss and I must have been 15 friends texting like, 
holy bleep, did you see what he just did? <laughs> I'm sitting on press row. I saw what he just did, barely, but my, my eyes were buried in my computer. Um, so yeah, I, I think a lot of people don't understand that. I mean, to get to Chris's point on this, and we'll get into this a little bit more over the course of the pod. In 2014, I had sort of a similar experience to you in 2010, Joe, because we were waiting for my daughter to be born while this was all going on during that summer. And I wish he had a special, to be honest. Like I, I was like, the decision was much better than what played out in 2014, which was all this innuendo. I remember Chris Sheridan's report, all the other reports that were out there. And then it just pops on a morning in Sports Illustrated. And I I'm, I guess my question for you before we move on to sort of the meat of the pod, I've seen some reports, Joe, that he's just going to put it out on uninterrupted. Do you think that's a possibility? Because I'm, it's, if I were them, that's what I would do this time. I mean, you know, I, I had conversations with Adam Mendelson about why they did what they did in 2014 and going to Sports Illustrated that, you know, they saw how Sports Illustrated to handle, handle Jason Collins and and they sort of like that format of the first person essay and and sort of bringing Sports Illustrated back to prominence. But do you think Uninterrupted makes sense for him because it is his platform? He can say whatever it is he wants. Yeah, I think it does. I mean, I, I do think that there are a couple of writers on the Cleveland beat and myself being one of them that have developed a, a good enough relationship with him where if he wanted to kind of go the Lee Jenkins route again, he could. But it does make sense. I think it makes sense for him to totally control his message. Um, they release it totally when they want to. And if there's ever, you know, ever been anything that Uninterrupted was built for, this this would be it. So yeah, that, that does make sense to do it that way. All right, let's get to the uh, the heart of the pod here. We're going to do this in five parts as we typically do. And let's start with Cleveland, Joe, because I, I think there's sort of a sense around the country that this is a foregone conclusion that he's leaving. And, you know, you can point to a lot of different things here, which is uh, the roster uh, has hemorrhaged around him. I think probably even worse than it did in Miami, although it, it was not great that last year with the heat because they hadn't developed any players either but the other problem here that he didn't really have in Miami is that the cap is a mess in Cleveland too and I just have the Jarrah Smith contracts a bad contract the Tristan Thompson contract is a bad contract you know they've got another year George Hill they've got two years of Jordan Clarkson they took off of the Lakers hands and so I, I pose this to you Joe what if anything can the Cavs do to convince him to stay? Is there anything the organization can do or is the only chance his family saying we really don't want to leave again? Well, I think it's kind of somewhere. No, I was going to say that, that it's somewhere in the middle and that that's not right. But what I would say is I don't think that there is, quote, anything the Cavs can do. Going back to April, I talked to LeBron about this, and he's he started saying then that this time more than any is more of a family decision than basketball. You know, as the finals wound down, he was starting to double down again on wanting to win and being in championship mode. But I don't think the Cavs can necessarily do anything that, quote, convinces him to stay. But I also think that while the family issue is a major consideration and we guess that that bodes well for Cleveland. I think that there are some basketball things that happen in the league or that will happen in the league that could push him back this way. I I think that we both know him well enough to know that he wouldn't leave just to leave. If he's going to go, he knows then that he is kind of attaching to himself this idea that he must win again. So he's going to have to go somewhere where he knows that he's got a real shot to do that. 
so I think, so I think that's the first thing. And then when you start looking at the realistic possibilities and everyone keeps talking about the Lakers, which in, in a lot of ways could make sense, but the team that he would want to go to there does not exist yet. They don't have that other marquee player or those other two marquee players yet. And I, I would be shocked if LeBron is the first domino to fall there. So for instance, if, these reports are true that Paul George is going back to the Oklahoma City Thunder on a one-on-one, that the Spurs just aren't going to trade Kawhi Leonard. I don't see how LeBron then goes there because he's got no chance to beat the Warriors there. And then, you know, you look at Houston and, uh, you know, for the Rockets to take him on, they've got to kind of renounce and or trade some major pieces that helped them get as far as they did. And then you go to Philly and it's the same thing. I know we're going to talk about shooting around LeBron in a minute, but the two guys that Philly would not be able to bring back in a LeBron situation are J.J. Redick and, and Bellinelli. And those are the two shooters that you would want. So that's what I mean when I just say the Cavs can't do anything, but there are some pieces that that are going to fall in the league one way or the other that could push him back to Cleveland. And this is the thing that we've been talking about for a long time here on the pod is that there isn't really a perfect situation out out there for him from a, I guess, what would be kind of the major qualifications, right? Lifestyle, ability to beat the Warriors, desirable market, legacy, all that. For me, those first two are kind of the most important is, is there a place where, you know, maybe it's a bigger city or a bigger market, and can he get any closer to beating the Warriors with his new destination? And I guess maybe kind of the forming of a potential super team as well, but there doesn't appear to be a perfect situation. Now, Brian Windhorst of ESPN has reported that he doesn't, or not reported, but said that he doesn't think that LeBron will be opting in and creating the ability for a trade. So in terms of teams with cap space, it's really only Philly, Cleveland, and the Lakers that can really make reasonable pitches. So like you've been saying, Joe, the big discussion point is how do all these things end up being merged and what in the end is the final tiebreaker for where LeBron decides to end up going? Yeah, I I think that the tiebreaker is, is it would have to make sense for him to leave. I believe that his relationship or lack thereof with Dan Gilbert is overblown, if only because they didn't have a, quote, good relationship when LeBron came home. Like, Dan's not why he came back. So it's just got to make sense for him to go. He knows that there is no downside to most of the things that he cares about, you know, whether it's family or legacy or business, those three things. There's no downside to him staying home. You know, his legacy remains totally unblemished with no question about all that he's done or accomplished if he stays here because he didn't, quote, go and and try to chase a a ring and and fail. You know, his wife, Savannah, all her family lives here. Nike's happy. And then when he retires, he can go and move to L.A. or or whatever. So it's got to make sense. L.A. makes sense because, like, his business empire is kind of running out of there. He's got homes there. You know, they love Southern California. And then there is the potential to build that super team we were all talking about. L.A. makes sense. But L.A. doesn't make sense if LeBron's the only guy going because then that team is not good enough to beat the Warriors or the Rockets. Not even close. So it's got to make sense for him to leave. And I don't necessarily see it yet, but I'm not 
like standing here saying, oh, he's coming back to Cleveland because it's, you know, it's kind of like Cleveland versus the field and you wouldn't be crazy if you still picked the field. So let's look at what they did here a little bit during the season, the trades that Kobe Altman made. And, you know, I I feel like Kobe has been put in a near impossible position. I mean, first, he was not the guy who constructed the original team. Gilbert decides he doesn't want to pay Griffin. Kobe's kind of the next guy in line. I know I know Kobe a little personally, so you know I'm a little biased here. I, I was impressed by Kobe when I was around Kobe, but I just think it's been a really tough thing for him to do because the first time around, he sort of is put in a position to trade Kyrie Irving when it was clear LeBron really didn't want him to trade Kyrie Irving, but Kyrie didn't want to be there anymore. And then he gets sent a player in Isaiah Thomas, who's not healthy. I guess he could have asked for more at the time. They didn't. They end up not getting even close. I mean, usually for superstars, you don't get like 50 cents to the dollar. Like they didn't even get 30 cents to the dollar on that trade, in my opinion. And then he's stuck this year where he's kind of caught in between because LeBron won't commit. So you don't know whether to trade what ended up becoming the number eight pick in the draft. You're trying to build a team to compete in the playoffs. He got younger, which I thought was a good move. But as Chris and I have talked about on the pod, those the problem with younger guys is you don't know how they're going to compete when it really matters. And all of those guys, except George Hill at times, pretty much, well, I guess Nance was okay. But the other two guys, uh, Clarkson and Hood, flopped in oh. those situations. Right. So I guess here's my question. If Kobe doesn't do anything at the trade deadline, if he just lets it play out, like, and, you know, maybe Jay Crowder plays as well for them as he did in Utah when he went there. Maybe Dwayne plays as well in Cleveland as he did when he came to Miami you know even Isaiah had a few moments and even Derek Rose had some moments in the playoffs too for Minnesota would they be in any better position right now if they hadn't made the trades at the deadline no I I really don't think so and I was I even had thrown it out there in the days leading up to the trade that as things were trending at that particular time the Cavs might not make the playoffs and Ty looked at me like I was crazy um and I still wrote it, they were 6-13. and 13. They had suffered all these humiliating, awful blowouts, um, mostly at the hands of good teams, but not all. And then actually that the night that I did that, Orlando beat them by 18, which tells you all you need to know about what was going on. And I just, I'm not sure that they would have been able to rally and make it. Now, maybe LeBron would have rescued them. I suppose they could have fired Ty, which may have solved some of the uh, the issues that were going on in that locker room between players and coaches, and, and maybe they could have gotten it together. Isaiah Thomas's hip would have failed him as it did in L.A., and they would have been left without a point guard, period. There would have been no George Hill or Jordan Clarkson, and you'd have had Jose Calderon there. And I guess Derek Rose, who, you know, started to play a little bit better. But no, I, I, I thought that they had to make the trades. They had to do something. And at the time, everybody was relatively pleased, including LeBron, with, with who they got. And then, as you mentioned, all of those guys really didn't quite live up to what you wanted them to be in the playoffs, and including George Hill. I, I would argue that Nance had the best playoffs of any of them. Well, see, the the thing to me that makes the least sense about the trades is that I'd say right now the chief rival of where LeBron could end up going for me is the Lakers. And the fact that you kind of hasten the departure by taking the Jordan Clarkson contract off their hands, which to me, it was more a contract than a player because of how grossly overvalued he was 
at his salary, then giving them a first-round pick as well to do it. And I understand that you wanted to get Isaiah off and you wanted to get off some more money. So, again, these things make sense in the moment. To me, even the Kyrie Irving trade, I think there's been some revisionist history about that trade. I thought in the moment, I thought most people in the moment, felt like it was a decent haul to get back for a player that you felt was going to leave anyway. So I do kind of understand those in the moment, but the long-term planning in it, I just, to me, it is hasten LeBron's departure. And if that's kind of the specter through which you view your organization, basically at this, for the last decade, it, or last decade and a half, it's do we have LeBron or do we not? Then you kind of have to think bigger than the individual moment. And so while these things kind of made sense in a vacuum, and I agree with you, I think they made the Hood Clarkson trades and, and the George Hill trades to survive the regular season because it was such a catastrophe, they still do have to think bigger. And I think in the broader context, the Kyrie Irving trade failed in a bigger context. And I think these trades that they made midseason have basically, for me, hastened his ability to go and leave. All right, let's move on to part two here. And I want to look at the roster as a whole. We've touched on some of this with the Kyrie trade because that certainly played into it. But again, a big issue here is some of the contracts they have on the books LeBron pushed for. And I know when, you know, when people talk about him having no help there, the one difference that I see, and we did a pot on this, the one difference that I see in in his situation in Miami in the last year and his situation in Cleveland in the last year is that he wasn't at fault for the way that the personnel hemorrhaged around him in Miami. That was not his doing. Like they, the Heat made a decision to amnesty Mike Miller, which, you know, LeBron, and there's been some revisionist history about that one too, but LeBron wasn't happy about it at the time. They basically didn't add any young talent at all, except Norris Cole after the first year. And then they tried to salvage Michael Beasley, Tony Douglas, and Greg Oden in the last year. And I mean, LeBron was okay with Oden. He pushed for Eddie Curry early on, but I mean, he didn't, I mean, the Heat didn't let him, right? I mean, that's the big difference here, Joe. Like, the Heat did not let him dictate contracts or anything like that. No, Riley and Harrison decided what they were going to do, and they did it. In Cleveland, you know, the Cavs have let him repeatedly. Two of the worst contracts they have on the books are clutch guys, like Tristan Thompson and J.R. Smith. So when I ask, like, who's at fault for the way that the roster looks now? And I know it's hard to separate Kyrie from this because obviously if they had a real second star and I don't think that's what Kevin Love is this might be different but I mean how much blame does LeBron deserve for sort of the fact that he does not have enough help right now well I mean yeah I mean the 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 fatal irrevocable blow is Kyrie he he's such a unique talent and what he did while he was here and LeBron was here I, I don't know that you could find another player bring him to Cleveland and have that be matched and so you lost that, and I don't know how you recover from it. When you look at the Tristan deals and you look at the JR deals, I mean, JR Smith got paid after he scored 12 points in game seven, including eight in the third quarter when the Warriors were trying to run away with it, turn the game. And so, yes, he uh, it, it lasted all the way until the end of training camp, but, but at the end of the day, I mean, the Cavs were so strapped salary cap wise then they couldn't have gotten anybody remotely like JR not only for the money they paid him but even for what the salary cap would allow so you know yes you can blame LeBron for at some level for just being in the building when two of the guys that are represented by Rich are up for these contracts but I think it is more nuanced than that 
it's more nuanced by the salary cap situation they were in with three players with gigantic contracts and LeBron, Kevin Love, and, and Kyrie Irving, which kind of limit what you can do uh, from a salary cap perspective. You know, you get to the finals in 2015, so you want to bring everybody back. You want to bring Kevin Love back, which they did. They gave him a gigantic contract. They brought Iman Shumpert back. He was one of their most important players. And again, you have to do that because when you're over the cap, you can only pay the guys you already have. Like you can't say, oh, well, JR is, he's going to be 30 years old and he's kind of a wacko. Um, we were paying him X. Let's go out and find somebody else to pay and that we can pay for that money. That's not how it works. It's either you pay JR what he wants or you don't fill that space. And so, and I think this is kind of what Miami ran into as well is just this is the price of doing business with LeBron. To me, the thing that sticks out from both the Cleveland last four years and, and the Miami Big Three is that the original intention of how it was supposed to look, which was LeBron plus Kyrie plus Love and LeBron plus Wade plus Bosch, is that by the end, one of those three guys either didn't live up to expectation in Love's case or was starting to break down in Wade's case. And it felt like even with the fact that they had three guys under big salaries and then eventually down to two, that you just weren't getting enough value out of the entire roster and that you were just kind of looking around going, well, where, where are we going to find another sort of way to make a leap forward? And that for me is the thing with this Cleveland roster right now is that their way out of their current situation does not appear readily obvious. Now, you, you mentioned there the cap space. They can get off George Hill because he's on a non-guaranteed contract and it can look okay in a year. But right now, what is their way out of their current predicament, which is now I, you mentioned kind of getting through Boston. I think that looks a lot harder going into this year. If Philly makes another leap forward, that looks harder. So I don't see a room to improvement in the next year for LeBron. And I feel like as much as he can say, all right, in 2019, it'll look like this. At a certain point, he does have to consider his own mortality and his own ability to really go for prime LeBron year after year after year. He's going to be entering his 16th season in the league and even understanding he is a superhuman that does not break down. It has to break down at some point. And so I would just be curious what his mindset is there with can he really afford to take that holistic approach with Cleveland or does he just have to go now and say, all right, where is the best team available to me at this moment in time? Well, yes. I think everything, Chris, that you said, I think everything is, is right on the money. Based on the conversations that I have had with the people close to him, they are at least aware of the following. Yes, he eventually has this mortality and that if you were going to break down somewhere, it's safer to break down here for all the reasons we talked about at the top of the podcast. You know, if you stay home you know, or you didn't kind of like hire yourself out to the chase, right? And, you know, LeBron turns an ankle or he's just not the same and, and this roster fails him or whatever. He's not criticized or he's not looked at for having set out to do something and failing. Whereas if he goes to LA and they don't have the pieces, you know, the depth to handle Houston or Warriors, well, now like the end of LeBron's career is a discussion on, you know, leaving Cleveland again to try to chase these these rings and, and not getting there. But to your point about, quote, fixing things this year, I mean, from a salary cap perspective, there is no relief. They really cannot get out from under being over the salary cap this year and nor really should they I mean that would devastate the team you know assuming that LeBron is here 
Now, they're making the case right now that they would maintain most of their current roster, even if LeBron leaves, that they would try to make the playoffs and try to develop these players. But what they do have, they do have a, a trade exception from the Kyrie deal worth nearly $6 million. And um, with the cap kind of holding flat, so that number is more valuable than it used to be. They also are going to have a, a taxpayer mid-level exception to the cap, which is worth about $5.2 million. Again, same thing. That is more valuable maybe than it used to be. So you can find some role players that can help you. They had one with Dwayne. I really think Dwayne would have helped them. Not win at all, but win a game or two. So these kinds of players are out there. They can get them in. And just, you know, I mean, this is true at some level too, that it's almost impossible to bring a team together in February and hope they do anything in the playoffs. And this team went to the finals. So you can make the case that just having another year together with some of the guys they've brought in. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Miami Heat. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Ron, Kevin, you know, you throw Sexton in there and maybe you get, you use these two salary cap provisions that I've been talking about and you make yourself a little better. And what you're comparing that to guys is, is that better than destination X? Like, do you have more of a chance to get to the finals and beat the Warriors in destination X than you did here? And LeBron already saw that on a team that was too young and didn't have all the right pieces, they still got there. A word from one of our new sponsors. That sponsor is miss-inc.com. That's miss-inc.com. They are social media problem solvers. They do social media marketing and content writing. We are using them right now. They've been in business for 10 years and they believe in a personal customized approach to marketing. So they only represent businesses that are serious about taking their visibility to the next level. Social media marketing requires much more than just a blog or profiles on a website like Facebook or Twitter. It takes a smart strategy and a daily interactive focus. Miss Inc. has been leveraging social media for Miami businesses since 2008. They don't believe in cookie cutter strategies or in boxing your business in with others in your industry. Here's how you check them out. Go to miss-inc.com or call 305-537-6465. 
All right, let's get to the next part here with Joe. Let, now let's assume he leaves. All right. And and again, I, I think I think there's more of a chance of him staying because of some of the league factors you're talking about than I think most people are, are sort of giving it credit for. But let's say that he leaves. He's delivered a championship. He got to the finals four straight years. He gave his absolute all. 99% of the time. I mean, we can talk a little bit about him checking out some at the end of this series and why he hasn't worn the uh, one of one of the guys in our network, Joe, noticed that he has not worn that splint on his hand since that press conference. Have, have you seen him photographed with that splint other than that one particular presser? Because that's the only time that I've seen it. No, I, uh, no, I, you know, I think he's, he's been icing and taking Advil. I think he's good to go. Okay. All right. So he's given just about everything to Cleveland. You obviously you're from Ohio, you know, the area, you love the area. I spent a year around downtown and saw how it picked up when he came back. So what does this do? Let's start with the community first and then work back to the organization. If he leaves, what is the reaction this time? I mean, I assume we're not going to get burned jerseys again, but how are they going to evaluate his four years here? And who are they? Who And when I say they, I mean the hardcore Cavs fan. Who are they going to blame? Boy, um, you, know, the, you know, the beauty about podcasts is you can take short answers and make them as long as you want. I thought for most of this year, I kind of felt like LeBron or maybe his people, but more so LeBron, were kind of, overestimating his um, the ability that he would have to leave without any black marks on his record. I never thought it would be like 2010, but I did think there would be some blowback. And I, for the most part, my mind has been changed to that. Just kind of gauging fan reactions through stuff that we've done on cleveland.com with like just, you know, fan videos and polling and that sort of thing. And, and it just, it feels like if he leaves, there is a much, much greater sense of appreciation for, for all the things that he's done, whether it's the winning in 2016, the four straight finals, you know, this is a ba- an era of basketball that will never be touched in Cleveland. And if he stays, maybe it continues for a couple more years, maybe it doesn't, but whatever, we'll never see anything quite like this again. And so he's appreciated for that. I also think that there is a much greater sort of sense of, of uh, appreciation for what he's done in the community, whether it's through his foundation and Akron and sort of this real mission to improve education for inner city kids, or if it's just sort of the, the business impact, which we can talk about. So I, I don't think that, I, I think that it'll be much, e- much easier for him to leave. I do think he would have to change, choose his words carefully. He would have to make sure that he does this in a way that does not offend the fans who have come to the point where they feel like they're okay with him leaving. Do something to make sure he remains connected to them. Um, If he doesn't, then I think it turns. I do think that, uh, you know, when you talk about blame, I don't know. I, I mean, you know, Dan and LeBron have been kind of jockeying for position on this all year in the event that LeBron does leave. And LeBron probably has done a better job of putting Dan in the, just in the spot of um, trading Kyrie and I don't have help and, and, you know, look at what I had to do and, and all that. And then there's also the, the argument of, well, listen, Dan has spent more money than anyone over the last four years um, to put this team together. And as you mentioned, some of these contracts are LeBron's friends. It didn't work out, you know, and so that's kind of on you, LeBron. And, 
Then there's the part which we haven't really talked about yet, which is the whole NBA changed on July 4th, 2016, when Kevin Durant chose the Golden State Warriors. And so far, no one, zero people in the NBA have figured out a real answer for this. You can make an argument that the Rockets were closest because that series was so close, but no one's figured it out. And that, more than anything, is what ruined the Cavs' chance at a dynasty because taking an MVP and adding it to a team that already has an MVP and two other All-Stars is just absurd. It's never been done in the league. And I don't know that there is the salary cap space out there to really compete with that. So I don't know that the blame game is the right game to play here. I mean, this was a circumstance beyond anybody's control. All right. So let's move on to the next part of this, Joe, which is under the assumption that he's leaving. What are the best fits for him? And you've touched on this a little bit. Um, It's pretty well known from a basketball standpoint that LeBron likes playing with shooters more than anything. Uh, His, his best lineups in Miami, often were without Dwayne Wade on the floor. They were they were with guys like Shane Battier and James Jones and Mike Miller uh, and Mario Chalmers, guys who could space for him, allow him to dictate the action. I know that's been the case a lot in Cleveland also with some of his numbers when he played with Kyle Korver and, and some of the other shooters that he had out there on the perimeter. And so this is what Chris got at a little bit earlier about how there's no real perfect fit for him right now. Now, the, the case that Rick Buecher made when he was on our podcast was he felt L.A. made the most sense for LeBron for this reason. He, he said in both of the previous situations uh, that he's moved, he was able to kind of construct the team from scratch with coming to Miami, you know, with Wade already here, but Riley had cleaned out the rest of the roster, brings in Bosch. They signed Mike Miller, uh, who was a good fit for him. Then over the next two years, they add Battier and Allen, who also were good fits for him. So really they were constructing that from the ground floor. And then Cleveland, where you had Kyrie, you had Dion, who you felt was movable if you had to be. You draft Wiggins, but you can move him for Kevin Love. Um, They had Tristan Thompson, who was a young piece, who was not expensive at that point. And so to that end, L.A., in Rick's view, made the most sense because uh, L.A. can, you know, if they move Randall, maybe they move Ball. They still have Ingram, potentially, uh, if they don't move him for someone like Kawhi, assuming that San Antonio even allowed that to happen. So LeBron can kind of build it from scratch. He can't really build it from scratch in Houston, as you mentioned. And Philadelphia, which has kind of been my pick here all along, the case that's made against that is that one of your two best players there is a guy who cannot play off the ball. So just from a basketball fit, before we get into lifestyle, which of the situations makes the most sense to you? Well, I I think of of all the teams and all the pieces that everybody has and what could realistically happen from a salary cap perspective, I would probably make the case that player-wise, the best fit would be San Antonio. Um, I, I like what they have there at point guard with with Murray, and then Patty Mills is under contract uh, as a good backup. Um, LeBron's actually good when he plays with with a, with capable bigs, which of course you have in the Marcus Aldridge there. Um, Danny Green, who's already coming back, is a is a spot up shooter. Um, you know, maybe Manu comes back. Um, and so like, I, I think that that team probably had the most pieces. I think the toughest fit there in San Antonio, that there's an irony to it, which is LeBron stops at nothing to, to praise Popovich and Popovich does the same. And I think the two of them would kill each other. 
um, just because of like Pop's insistence on playing within a system. And for the last four years, the, the system LeBron has played in is his system. Um, if you think about how LeBron plays now, the player you need, the pl kinds of players that you need around him, if you're going to play the way LeBron plays is you need other guys who can take their man off the dribble and create for themselves or players comfortable of standing and waiting for the ball to come to them and make shots. Kyrie Irving was fantastic at that. Um, he was probably the perfect compliment player to LeBron. Uh, Kevin Love has kind of learned how to do it. Um, you know, Kevin's given up a lot of his game. I totally agree with you. He's not the actual second star caliber, but he is an all-star. Um, and he's sort of learned how to wait for his shot. Um, and they, they try to feed him. But but otherwise, um, like if you're a player that is that that play that feeds off of ball movement, if you're a player who feeds off of running off screens and, and doing those kinds of things to get open, like that's not how LeBron has played. Um, and so, you know, like, I guess, I mean, just the, the you know, I think we all kind of agree that if LeBron could get to the Lakers without the Lakers giving up too much of what they have and adding a second star, like that is something to consider. I just don't know if that's possible, but, you know, we've seen it now time and again, um, at least this past year where they've, the Cavs have, have put, guys with LeBron who um, are coming from systems and are coming from places where you kind of have to move without the ball and the ball moves a bunch. Um, and that's not how it works around him. It's almost, you know, LeBron creates and there's one pass um, or, you know, LeBron needs, LeBron's going to take a playoff in the corner and that's where you need somebody else to break it, to break it down. And that's why Kyrie was so good. Hey, this is Gary and Thorne, host of the Fantasy on 5 podcast, part of the 5 Reasons Sports Network, letting you know that your fantasy football needs are covered this season. My co-host David Ganos and I will be leading you hand-in-hand hand through your draft and right up to Championship Sunday, offering our insight into the world of fantasy football. We'll also be inviting some of our friends from Sports Illustrated, Yahoo, and DraftKings. Look for us Tuesdays and Thursdays starting in July, wherever you currently listen to your favorite Five Reasons Network podcasts. Let's look at some of the other players he could potentially play with. And as you said, with the cap situation in Cleveland, it's almost impossible to get any of them there. So it would have to be somewhere else. So let, let me give you three or four names and you tell me how it would fit. Because we look at the Dwayne Wade situation in Miami. Like Chris Bosch was a perfect fit next to LeBron. Like that never got talked about enough. Like Chris, especially with the way that Chris got out of the paint and went out to the three-point line, like he did all the things that I think people have been wanting Kevin Love to do. And I don't think Kevin Love has done them as consistently as Chris Bosch did. But Dwayne was not a perfect fit with LeBron and not at the beginning and not at the end. Like if you look at their numbers together in that last year in Miami, Eric Spolster told me if he was going strictly by analytics, he would have separated them all the time um, in that fourth year in Miami. And Dwayne's body had broken down and that played into it, but it was never really a perfect fit, even though we see the, the beautiful highlights between them. So let me give you some names. You tell me how they would fit together. LeBron and Paul George. Well, assuming that LeBron um, is okay with, with going into, with kind of playing before, um, I think they would be, uh, that would be an interesting fit. Um, 
a good fit. And I would base that off of how LeBron and Jeff Green played together and their numbers at both ends of the court. Um, Jeff and, and Paul George have similar body types, but obviously Paul George is the much better player. Um, so pairing LeBron and his skill set with someone who is that tall, that long, that fast, who can do things on his own the way that Paul George can, I think that would be a formidable uh, twosome. Kawhi Leonard. I, I mean, I think it's the I think it's the same idea. Um, you know, I think that 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 Kawhi would benefit more playing with LeBron than Paul George would. Um, I think for Paul George, it would be more of an adjustment. I think Kawhi would appreciate um, being able to focus more on the defensive end um, and 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 finding his offensive opportunities when LeBron sort of allows it. Um, you know, I'm not sure, I'm not sure what LeBron would think of, uh, of playing with Kawhi. I just, um, you know, the, there's some, not to get too far off track here, cause it's, it's an answer to your question, but in between games three and four of the finals, LeBron, as he was talking about the kinds of players it takes to beat the Warriors. And he was talking about, um, basketball minds. That's the comment everybody's been focusing on, but there's something else he said about there are players in this league that just don't want to do this, that don't want to play um, in, in games where every possession matters. And I just, I wonder, I've always wondered who he meant by that. And um, you know, if, if Paul George ends up in Oklahoma city, instead of joining him, then I, I don't know if that's what he meant. And then you look at Kawhi with this whole thing with his injury all year. I just, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Um, you know, like LeBron's looking for the, a certain kind of player who thrives under pressure. Um, and I don't know. I, I don't, I, I don't know if those two guys are count counting there or not. I mean, I guess we'll, we'll have to see if this actually comes together. Now, one of the other fits, uh, well, there's actually two of them. We, we'll, we'll get to one here. Uh, if he goes to Philly, then Simmons and Embiid has been one that's been talked about a lot. Embiid makes sense, even though there's a spacing issue, but Embiid can play a bit further from from the rim. But Simmons in particular is the one that I think a lot of people, if he wanted to go there, would be most kind of concerned about. How do you think two playmaking, ball-dominant, basically big guards, how do you think they fit together? Yeah, man, that's a tough one um, because Simmons is not anywhere near the shooter yet, right? Um, like not even close to, to, to kind of be able to um, play, <laughs> kind of play point guard and succeed with LeBron. I mean, that because especially over the last four years, when you are on the floor with LeBron and you're the point guard, you're only the point guard part of the time. Um, LeBron wants to dribble the ball. LeBron wants to make assists. Um, and again, it's the kind of the one pass assist we're talking about. And Simmons game is not there yet. And so they would really have to figure that out. Um, you know, that's why like Kemba or Kyrie or, or like a point guard like that fits in because they are so good offensively, they can play the two. Um, and, and, you know, that, that's just like, that's why I, I wonder about the Philly fit. Like you love their talent. You love how good and young, um, Simmons and Embiid are and some of the other parts they have on the roster. But I I think it's a tough fit for LeBron and Ben Simmons right now. All right. Last one. And then we're going to get to your prediction in part five here, James Harden. Um, and I'll throw Chris Paul in there because I'm assuming, 
if LeBron goes to Houston, that they're going to make a decision to keep Chris Paul and let Capella, Capella walk, which I don't know for the long-term health of the franchise is the best thing, but obviously they would try to accommodate LeBron and LeBron would be going there in large part because Chris Paul is already there. How do you think LeBron and Harden would fit together? Because I've always kind of sensed, I sensed this the first year that he was back in Cleveland. There's a little edge between the two of them. I, I remember, uh, you know, there was a great game in Houston that first year, and uh, there was some t- Twitter trash talk with the Houston Rockets account and other things like that. Like, I've never sensed sort of a warmness between the two of them. It, has that changed, or and, and how do you think the two of them would play together? Yeah, I mean, I've never, um, I, I've I've never uh, certainly f- sensed any kind of real connection between the two of them, and you can kind of run through the players in the league that LeBron does feel that with, and and Harden certainly isn't one of them. Uh, LeBron absolutely respects his game, um, and I actually think that they would. I think on the floor, I think that'd be really good. Um, I think that'd be really good, um, and you know, I also like. I would like Chris Paul in that situation. Um, and then they have, you know, Eric Gordon and, and PJ Tucker, uh, under contract as well, but then you're right. Like you wouldn't see Capella, you wouldn't see almost anybody else. Um, and even still, uh, from a salary cap situation, I don't know that there's enough room to do this, uh, that way, but, but I think LeBron and Harden simply put, I think those two would be really good. All right. So let's get to the prediction here. Part five. Um, I, I don't want to make any enemies for you up where you live. So uh, we'll throw this out at the very beginning. What would you put the chances of him staying in Cleveland? Well, I think guys, if you've listened to this whole podcast, um, you would say that I'm coming from it, that I believe LeBron is staying. And I don't necessarily believe that. Um, I, I I'm trying to keep all options open. I just, I, I think that, you know, maybe you and I agree. I'm not sure about you, Chris, but that we agree that that there is more room for LeBron to stay than maybe people nationally would give. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I would look at this as a plurality right now. Like maybe there's a a forty percent chance that LeBron stays in Cleveland and a sixty percent chance that he doesn't. But among the places that he's going, like n- no place has a larger percentage chance than LeBron than Cleveland, maybe. Um, like I'm, it's hard for me to do the numbers, but it's, you know, I mean, you see it like it, the Cavs don't appear to be in the market of dramatically changing their team, which, you know, you kind of felt like they, they would have to do to keep them if this were a basketball thing, but then you look and you don't see any destination that makes perfect sense. And to, to that end, what surprised me, Joe, when the numbers came out this week was I, I saw Bovada's numbers and the Lakers are a runaway favorite. Like it's it's not even uh, I mean, <laughs> the right. odds are the odds are better that he'll go there than that. They're not at this point, uh, even taking the rest of the field much better that he'll go there. Why do you think that is? Is that it, because is because, you know, a couple of things have happened that to me would make it less likely. L.A. apparently has been shut down in terms of going after Kawhi. Uh, Paul George, as you've mentioned, seems to be leaning towards Oklahoma City. So you assumed if LeBron was going to go to LA, he was going to have to get one of those those two guys. I don't know that just getting, say, DeMarcus Cousins coming off an Achilles injury is enough to make that situation attractive to him. Is there something that's happened 
behind the scenes because this enrolling his kids thing like Gary Payton came up with, as you know, Joe, like, I mean, LeBron can enroll his kids and unenroll his kids at any point. Like he's not, as I've said in the pot, he's not going to get charged a registration fee. Like it's, and, and if it is, it's 250 bucks. I mean, it's not, I don't think that's the thing that's going to affect him. What do you think has happened over the past week that the odds would swing that violently? Because LA was not that kind of favorite before. Yeah. I mean, that, um, that just makes me wonder if it's one of those things where they like, you know, the people setting these odds are privy to information, um, that the rest of us just aren't yet. Like, uh, you know, I'm throwing out a hypothetical here. Um, so please don't let anyone, uh, take this and run with it as news, but like, what if, uh, Mike Mancia bought a house in LA, um, recently or you know the lakers are about to announce um that he's their new head trainer or something like that like i like like to me that that's what it would that's what it would be um because i just don't see anything from a basketball perspective that has happened yet um that suggests that lebron is is going to the lakers but i don't know i mean you know you look at it i mean rich paul already owns a house out there so you know, if Vegas just found out about that, then they're late to the game. Um, Maverick, of course, already has a house out there. So that's no big deal. Um, so I, I don't know. I, you know, the, the Stead school thing is goofy. I mean, Junior's going into eighth grade, so he wouldn't be playing for these people anyway next year, which makes that rumor totally ridiculous. Um, but yeah, it, it would have to be, I guess it would have to be something that we haven't heard yet yeah see the, the the thing to me when when considering Cleveland is I do feel like with LeBron the last 10 years once things kind of reach their logical conclusion it really does feel like to me staying is off the table and it's just really about wh where is the most obvious destination I think in 2010 a lot of people would have said maybe Cleveland finished second but it just kind of always felt like he was going to go and in 2014 we can now say he was always going to go. There was no uh, signing that Pat Riley could have pulled off. There was no uh, last thing that he that Pat Riley could have said. LeBron was always leaving, and and so I think at this point, when with, with the lack of commitment, with the radio silence that he goes now with, I I don't think it, it would look more obvious like it has been the last three or four years that he was going to stay if he was actually staying. And so I think now the question is just where to. And while maybe in 2010 you wouldn't have said there was an obvious destination to go win the championship, uh, obviously the big three was on the table, but I think a lot of people didn't really foresee that coming. In 2014, I don't think a lot of people could have foreseen, even after the Dan Gilbert plane thing leaked, like, wait, really? He's going to go back and, and, and work for Dan Gilbert again? Like, I don't, I, I don't think a lot of people saw that coming at the moment, but it does feel like his time in Cleveland, his second time in Cleveland, has reached its logical conclusion. So as much as I do think Cleveland, a comeback to Cleveland is maybe on the cards. I just, my, my greater assumption is once this thing looks like it's going to end, it ends. And so I think his time in Cleveland has come to an end. And now we just kind of wait to see where he ends up going next. It, there has certainly been times, especially towards the end of the finals, where it felt that way. Um, like this thing had just kind of run its course. Um, I guess I guess what no rational person could really say is, is that they couldn't, they couldn't say that um, that there is an obvious landing place for him um, based on the things that he has said he is looking for. And so it'll be interesting to see how that how that place materializes, whether it's which free agent teams with him or 
you know, if he leaves to go to a different city, like how he explains how that place is best for his family. Obviously, there's more of a case there from the LA perspective, but um, that's the thing is, is, is uh, here we are. And, you know, you're looking for like, well, where's the destination then just based off of what it is that he said previously. Yeah. And, and that's a good way to close because I, I think what you said earlier, Joe kind of sums this thing up, which is that the Kevin Durant thing has thrown this whole thing out of whack because I, I, the, the idea that a player is still playing at the level that LeBron James is playing at, and you can make an argument. I wouldn't, cause I still think his 12, 13 season was his best season, but you can make an argument. This was his best season or certainly close to it. And that he is not enough to beat Golden State unless he has a legitimate superstar next to him at this stage and, and a third player who's pretty close to a legitimate superstar, I think just tells you kind of what's happened to the league since Durant went to Golden State. It is, it's so tilted at this stage that even the best player of his generation does not have a good option to go to to beat that team. And I, I, I don't know if that's good for the league, bad for the league. We've discussed it on here. He obviously can't go to Golden State um, because that would look terrible. Uh, but, uh, you know, it just it just tells you where we are a, as a league. And I'll, I'll be curious uh, how it goes. Joe, we appreciate you taking the time. I know what this next couple of weeks is going to be like for you because I've been through it twice and uh, and I, I don't wish it on anyone. So I, I don't know how you want to handle it. Mute Twitter, uh, what, what you want to do. I mean, everybody's going to have a report. I mean, you mentioned we talked about the schools thing. I remember the day that the cars were moved from LeBron's house in, in, in Miami and it was, okay. Oh, he, and then, you know, his people were coming out. Oh, he moves his cars every year. Yeah. But he doesn't move all of them. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that's going to be happening over the next uh, week and a half. So I just hope he makes it painless for you. Um, yes. and, and I hope for you, your, your sake and Lloyd's sake and McMenamin's sake, uh, that, he goes to the beat guys this time because I wish he'd done that in uh, 2014, but right. uh, good luck. Good luck to you on that. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because, because I, I know that have plow that plays out, but thanks Joe for taking the time. That was fun guys. Thanks for having me. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.